Okay, let's have the kids stand too. We're going to dismiss you for your children's church class before you go, as well as your teachers. Heavenly Father, thank you for our children. Thank you for the blessing they are, especially we think of that this Mother's Day, Lord. What a blessing they are to all of us. We ask you to bless them and encourage them and use this class this morning to mold them and shape them into the image and likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids, you're dismissed. The rest of you got to stay. You don't get away that easy. So on Mother's Day, we celebrate the most important job in the world. I really believe that's true. Moms are the most important job in the world. That's because moms give life. Mothers do something no one else can do. And this is despite what our culture in this weird cultural moment is trying to teach us. For example, if you have an iPhone, one of the emojis available to you is the pregnant man emoji. Did you know that? They just released that about a month ago. Great advances in technology, right? Netflix has released a comedy drama called He's Expecting. You'll see some stories written talking about people who menstruate. We might call those people women. You'll see other stories that refer to expectant mothers as pregnant people. USA Today just this week in a story describing the impact of the leaked uh, anticipated Supreme Court decision, which if it doesn't change will overturn Roe v. Wade, quoted one person saying, it's just really scary to me that anti-abortion activists don't understand that taking away abortion takes away so many rights and so many things from women and other people who have uteruses. We might call those people women as well. And you have people using the euphemism reproductive justice, which has to be among the most ironic and ridiculous phrases ever spoken, especially in light of what it really means. Language matters, and over time, language shapes and influences. That's why the euphemism pro-choice has been so successful in the past 50 years in changing how our culture views children and motherhood. After all, we live in America, the land of the free, right? Who wants to be against choice? Choice seems almost patriotic. You know, with the way language is going and things are going anymore, I think the next thing that we might get, have to get used to is 2 plus 2 equals 5. As the Wicked Witch of the West said in The Wizard of Oz, oh, what, a world, what, a world. what a world, what a world. Huh? Even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, hearts and minds take much longer. If Roe is dead, more children will live. We can move forward in every way possible to protect as many children as we can by banning abortion where possible, by bolstering crisis pregnancy centers, by building stronger foster care systems, and much more. Finding five Supreme Court justices to right one of the greatest wrongs in U.S. history has taken nearly 50 years. Changing the hearts and minds of our neighbors especially the women who feel like abortion is their only option and the men who pressure them into sin will be the ongoing work of our generation. So while pro-aborts melt down and scream and yell and protest and threaten all kinds of ridiculous repercussions of Roe v. Wade dying and pro-lifers celebrate, let's be grateful that more children will live. And at the same time, let's be aware that the work is still not even close to done. 
It's interesting to think about how abortion culture has changed our whole society in 50 years. The leaked draft of the court's opinion drafted by Justice Samuel Alito includes these lines. He says, this court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. Duh. That was my part. He did not put duh in this opinion. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. I read a very interesting article uh, within the last few weeks uh, by a mother about how our abortion culture affects feelings about motherhood. Even those who are pro-life, and I would assume that most of us, at least, if not all of us in this room, are pro-life, but we still swim in this abortion culture where the elite, the powerful, the media, the government, educational systems, they're all in with abortion rights. And they define the narrative of motherhood and children. Reproductive justice, they say. Pro-choice, they say. This article highlighted a blog that features mommy confessions where mothers put their most difficult moments or try to clear their consciences, and they post these online, by revealing some things they feel guilty about doing. It was very instructive to read this when you realize how much our abortion culture has affected some mother's feelings about the most important job in the world. This article pointed out, I'm going to read some from this article, this is only a handful of the many confessions that seem to ooze regret. I doubt these mothers would consciously admit that they wish they had never had children, although some of them do. But their statements certainly suggest that they wish they were doing something other than being mothers. I can understand to a certain extent why these mamas wrote what they did, because motherhood is hard. Can I hear an amen from some of the moms in here? It's tiring. It's never-ending. It's all-giving. It's true, complete sacrifice. We recognize that. This writer recognizes that. But there's something much deeper going on here than a bunch of mothers who would rather be out drinking margaritas. It's a mentality that goes much, much further into our psyches. And I dare say that not one of us American mamas is immune to this way of thinking because we were raised in the abortion culture. We current mothers of young children can't remember a time when abortion wasn't an issue to rail against or to rally for. But it doesn't matter if you have a My Uterus, My Choice t-shirt in your closet or if you protest at abortion clinics. You are a victim of the abortion culture's indoctrination of young women. And chances are it shows up in your mothering. She goes on to write, the abortion culture has taught us that children stand in the way of things that we want. It has taught us that we deserve more than being at home with children on a Friday night. It has told us that it is, not, it is possible to not be ready for kids. It has instilled in women a lack of confidence in our ability to handle children. It has produced the feeling that it can be a mistake to have a child or a mistake to have more than one. The abortion culture has lied that it is better for a child to have no mother at all than to have an imperfect one. 
And so even if we feel like we are pro-life to our core, if we really stop and examine the way we think about our children, do we see the abortion culture mindset creeping in? Do we find that we are resenting our children because they ask a lot of us? Are we preoccupied with all of the things that we would rather be doing? Do we often view our kids as a nuisance? Do we dream of what life would be like without kids? Now this writer ends by saying these kinds of feelings are directly related to the abortion culture that has lied to us. And women here, it's been your entire lifetime that abortion has been legal for at least the the, uh, younger moms among us. She believes these kinds of lies have convinced some women that they aren't capable of being good mothers or that there are more important or fulfilling things than raising children or that children are annoying or unimportant. The underlying assumption is this. What if I never had children? Would I be happier? Children today are seen as dream squashers and not as blessings. The Word of God says that they are blessings. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. I remember when Bill Sanders used to preach Mother's Day messages. You remember... Bill's Mother's Day messages. You may also remember his Father's Day messages. When he preached on Mother's Day, it was all sweetness and light, all about praising moms for their beauty, for their lives, appreciating moms for their contributions to life, family, and society. And that was certainly appropriate. It was certainly true enough. But when Bill used to preach on Father's Day, you had to have a helmet on if you were a dad. He would hammer the men, telling fathers to live up to their responsibilities to be the men of God we were called to be, to quit complaining and do your job according to Scripture. And you know what? That was appropriate and right too. And I appreciated it. I appreciated the challenge. But you know what? I always felt like the women, the moms, kind of got off a little bit easy when Bill would preach on Mother's Day, not being challenged like the fathers. I've mentioned before how preaching on Mother's Day can be a minefield because motherhood and our relationships with mom are complicated, aren't they? So today, being a father but not a mother, I'm taking the risk of challenging our moms and moms-to-be, but notice I'm quoting a woman writer to do it. This woman, Melissa Edgington, says, women need to examine their hearts and see if the abortion culture has somehow colored their thinking. She says this needs to happen for the sake of their children. So women don't pass along these lies to their kids. And kids need mothers who refuse to see their children as obstacles to happiness. That idea is very much prevalent in our culture now. And that's a result of our abortion culture. There's the antinatalist movement. Have you ever heard that phrase? For example, there's this organization out of Portland. That's what they call themselves. Stop having kids. There's a website. They have signs. Now this is the polar opposite of the Christian worldview, where children, as we noted a moment ago in Psalm 127, children are a blessing. And also, we see in both Genesis 128 and 9-7, tells God's people to be fruitful and multiply. Certainly there are exceptions. Certainly this is not a law for believers. But it's also not necessarily a command to have a lot of children. But we can't ignore God's word here to be fruitful and multiply to seek God for what it means for each of us individually, 
We can't ignore God's word that says children are a blessing. They are a good thing. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. It's a reward from God. But our abortion culture has brought us here. Stop having kids. And this is another one of their signs, which actually strikes me as totally ridiculous. One unselfish reason. It says, what is one unselfish reason to have children? Really? Really? I'll start by giving you seven and then more. Jason and Misty Feathers have seven very good unselfish reasons for having children. And these reasons have names. Faith, Grace Ann, Lillian, Jason, Wesley, Pearl, and Rose. The Thorpes have five unselfish reasons, and their names are Emma, Andrew, Ethan, Bo, and Olivia. The Failers have five more unselfish reasons, one of them not being in this picture. But their names are Vanjie, Ellie, Johnny, Audrey, and Owen. The Lawrences have five more unselfish reasons. Their names are Corey, Ellie, Toby, Risa, and Thomas. Thank God for that. I could go on. You know, this is just an example. We can go back to some of the older ones like the Wrights, and I could start naming the Wrights. I mean, we have some big families. We have some smaller families, one, two kids. We have some big families in this church. And you know what? It is anything but selfish to have those kids. We have a lot of good examples of those who've been especially fruitful and greatly multiplying. We have many other examples right here at TCF. It's not just about having children. It's about our heart attitude toward children, toward motherhood. And yes, of course, there are some people who have children for selfish reasons. But that's a foolish choice for them. Yet godly parenting is not only biblical, it's inherently unselfish. Every parent here should be shouting amen. Parents sacrifice so much for their children. And good parents do it willingly, even when it's hard. Just because some parents don't do it willingly, or some do it for selfish reasons, doesn't mean there are no unselfish reasons for having children. This is a worldview issue. This is one of those things where you can look at the sky and say it's blue and someone else says, no, it's purple. What a difference. Stop Having Kids says on their websites, those who procreate don't acknowledge that the future person they are creating may not want to be born and may even one day wish they had never been born. Yeah. At its core, voluntarily having children is a selfish act that doesn't adequately consider the interests of future life and already existing life. Now, I'm going to quote Colonel Potter from MASH. Remember MASH, the TV show? Some of you ever watched that? I'm going to quote him. Horse hockey. <laughs> Mule fritters. Or how about this? Just wrong, wrong, wrong. Voluntarily having children is not only not selfish, it's selfless, and it acknowledges God's view of human life as precious and unique. One of the best scriptures on a pro-life message is from Psalm 39. It would be very familiar to most of you. For you, this is the psalmist writing about God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. All the days of our lives, the psalmist tells us, all the days of our lives were written in God's book before one of them came to be. And again, this is a worldview issue. Because the world, the word of God is very clear that our days are ordained by God. And this view has been undermined and altered by our insidious abortion culture, which cheapens human life and makes it a very self-centered issue. My body, my choice, a human right, health care. I don't want anything interfering with my happiness. Radical autonomy. This is now the prevailing narrative about abortion. But let me be very careful here. As one who has been an active part of pro-life ministry for more than 30 years, and I've had many conversations with abortion-minded women. I, when I was working with Mend Pregnancy Center, I, uh, I started working with them as their newsletter writer and editor. And so I had a lot of interviews with some of these women and with those who changed their minds and gave life to their children. I realize many women truly think they have no choice but to abort. With some of these women considering abortion, it has more to do with desperation than with selfishness. So I don't want to just cast a picture that every woman who has an abortion is selfish. There's a lot more to it that's a lot more complicated than that. But after 50 years, even this has changed a lot. There's a website called Shout Your Abortion. Now on that site, some women brag about and they even celebrate aborting their unborn children. It's an incredibly sad sight to visit. Some express a combination of regret and relief. But the whole debate has changed so significantly in the nearly 50 years since Roe v. Wade made abortion legal up to nine months in all 50 states. It started with the very disingenuous defense that it's just a blob of tissue. You notice you don't hear that much anymore. They, but they said it's no different than removing a cyst or as common as pulling a tooth. A simple medical procedure. Of course, that was never true. Science has always been clear that human life begins at conception. The only difference is size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. Have you heard this acronym? I'm guessing Chuck and Diane have. It's a great way to think about this when you have to argue from non-biblical sources. In other words, not the value of life that the Word gives, but just from reason and science and understanding. So the idea is that it's size. The preborn is smaller than born humans, but size doesn't determine our humanity. And then there's the level of development. The preborn is less developed than the born human, but our level of development doesn't determine our humanity. And then there is environment. The preborn is in a different place than the born human, but where we are doesn't determine what we are. And finally, degree of dependency. The preborn is more dependent on its mother than the born human, but our degree of dependency doesn't determine our humanity. Tell me how dependent Owen is on you, Megan, right now. Almost completely. And he's born, okay? So that's the idea. Our degree of dependence 
doesn't determine our humanity. So this is something that's very interesting and uh, a good way, a good acronym for you to remember, SLED. A person is a person no matter how small. Even Dr. Seuss knew that, didn't he? And he put those words in the mouth of Horton in Horton Hears a Who. Go ahead, rope me, cage me, do whatever you want. But there are people on this speck, and they have a mare who has 96 daughters and one son named Jojo, who all share a bathroom, whatever that is. And even though you can't hear or see them at all, a person's a person, no matter how small. Even the monkeys and the wildebeest get that, huh? Why is it so hard for our culture to understand that? Now, the advent of ultrasound images of the unborn really began to change the debate in a significant way because it was the undeniable evidence of life when expectant mothers could see arms and legs and even fingers and toes and even see a heartbeat. It became harder to argue that this wasn't a human being. So the debate morphed and it morphed into the question, when is it a person? In other words, okay, so it's a human being. We have to grant that. But it's not a person until it's born. But eventually, after nearly 50 years of devaluing human life, a lot of pro-aborts don't even generally argue anymore that it's not a person because, and this is not true just in the abortion issue, but of other cultural battlegrounds, such as the whole LGBTQ issue, everything is now primarily about my rights. I'm autonomous. I don't answer to anybody, and I get to choose how to live my life and who or even what I want to become. I get to define my own existence. What could possibly go wrong? This autonomy was the opinion expressed in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey lawsuit, which the Supreme Court ruled in 1992, which upheld Roe v. Wade. And here's a direct quote from that decision. This is the Supreme Court of the United States speaking in one of the justices' decision. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters could not define the attributes of personhood were they formed under compulsion of the state. Yet historically, even this argument falls incredibly short. How about our Declaration of Independence, which sets the stage for our Constitution and it states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Look at the contrast between these two statements. From our founding fathers, we are endowed by our creator with the unalienable right to life. Or on the other hand, Liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence. Now, we have to admit that we have never completely and perfectly fulfilled the Founders' vision fully or perfectly. Our acceptance as a nation of the evil of slavery for our first hundred years being the most glaring example. Yet, these self-evident truths are supposedly still the basis of our law. 
how far we as a nation have strayed from this founding principle. This founding principle is consistent with the biblical worldview that we're exploring this morning, that God created us. Yes, mothers are his agents of creation, but it's ultimately God who gives life. Because of that, because we are his special creation, because we are created in his image and his likeness, he is the one who gets to define our concept of existence and meaning and the mystery of human life. So what has happened? What has happened in these 50 years? I believe scripture addresses this too. Seared consciences. Seared consciences. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Now I want to show you a video here and I want you to tell me that these are not examples of a seared This is Savannah Hernandez here in Venice Beach. Now, California is trying to pass a bill to legalize infanticide seven days post-birth. Let's go see what Californians think of the bill. So I prefer that most women make the decisions at eight weeks, but but I'm also in support of 10 months out of the womb. So you think babies should be aborted 10 months after they're born? If if the mother wants to, yes. I think... So if, like, you want to get a late-term abortion, like, that's up to you. You know, I've had an abortion, too, and it's, it's, it was my choice, and I'm happy I had that choice. Um, anything that is, you know, pre-birth, if it involves uh, termination of a fetus, uh, that's considered an abortion. I 100% support it. I've had an abortion myself. I'm not a bad person because uh, I made the choice that was right for me, and now I have a life that I enjoy, and I wouldn't take it back. Would you guys get an abortion again? Yes. 100%. 100 times. I'd do it multiple times. Until I feel that I'm ready to parent, um, that's a choice I'll continue to make. So basically, like, if they have their baby, they can neglect them for seven days, and if the baby dies, then they can't be held criminally liable. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, like, I, I agree. I think whatever, like, helps women and helps them achieve their, like, dreams and however that needs to, like, happen is definitely acts to help that is helping all of us. doesn't disturb you there's something wrong seared consciences motherhood is under attack in America and many other parts of the world I have to tell you that my study and research for this message this morning brought me across all kinds of stuff like we just saw and it was so incredibly disturbing I promise we'll end this morning with hope and a way forward yet I firmly believe it's very important for us to understand what we're facing, to understand the battle that we're in. This was a moral and spiritual issue long before it was a political issue. Now TCF, most of you have noticed this, is quite intentionally not a political church. 
the vast majority of political hot potatoes will not be addressed from this pulpit because we recognize that true Christians can have different opinions on most political issues and still be strong and faithful followers of Christ. That said, the value of life is so clear in Scripture, we cannot ignore this issue. Even if we wanted to, we can't afford to in this cultural moment. We looked earlier at the phrase pro-choice. How could anyone be against choosing? We all want to choose what's best for us, right? The argument, of course, is very deceptive because seldom do you hear people admitting what they are choosing. Although more recently, we're seeing even more pro-aborts actually speak quite clearly about what they're choosing and deciding they still want that choice. That's where the, the idea of the seared consciences come in, in the passage of Scripture that we just read. And if they do admit that choice, they often speak in euphemisms, product of conception, pregnancy removal, contents of the uterus. Think about this. You don't remove a pregnancy. Pregnancy is a condition, not a disease, like a tumor you might remove. But this argument, again, in 50 years has taken root in the pro-abortion arsenal because it fits well with our cultural moment. What I want, what I feel is always paramount. I, me, and my are the key words that we see, the operative words. I want what's best for me, my body, my choice. And so pro-choice, I believe, is the devil's phrase for the radical autonomy that permits people to fool their conscience into thinking that taking the life of an unborn child is somehow okay and maybe even a good or moral choice. So again, they've normalized abortion. It's like having a tooth pulled. It's no big deal, just an everyday medical procedure. Well, just because it happens every day does not mean that it's not evil. One of our challenges is that one of the primary shapers of our culture, the media, in movies, television, music, social media, they're very supportive of the abortion agenda. They're doing their absolute best to normalize it, even for teenagers. I always think it's a good idea for all of us, not just teens, not just young adults, for all of us to ask what's shaping us. Are the values of our culture, what we see in various media, shaping our values, what's important to us? Are our minds being renewed and shaped by the Word of God as opposed to the culture and the media that we're in? But our culture wants to indoctrinate us with the dogma of abortion, and it's very religious. If you, even the way, that, you know, the way they talk about it, it's very religious in nature. There's a popular uh, series of Canadian-produced TV shows called Degrassi, which in its various versions has run for several years on different networks, on the teen version of Nickelodeon, and ironically on the Family Channel. You can still stream it online. I'm not suggesting you do. It follows the lives of teenagers in high schools, and teens are its intended audience, okay? This is targeted for teens to watch. Among the many things in our culture that this show attempts to normalize is abortion. In one storyline, one of the main characters is pregnant from a one-night stand. Now listen to this. One of the main characters is pregnant from a one-night stand with her best friend's bisexual older brother while his boyfriend is in the hospital recovering from a coma. Got that? That background's not that important. It just kind of gives you an idea of what we're dealing with here. Take a look. Now, I showed this clip a few years ago 
in a sermon, but I think it's worth repeating. You must be Lola. I'm Dr. Bainford. A little nervous? Give it away. Don't worry. It's perfectly normal. The IV that the nurse gave you will help you relax. Now, I need to take a look at your uterus. Feet in those stirrups. Will it hurt? Have you had a pap? Once. It should feel similar. Now... Scoops down. While I'm down here, I'll apply a numbing medication. Like at the dentist? Uh, well, hopefully she puts it in your gums. <laughs> <laughs> so, 16, huh? You must be in grade 11, right? Yep. Learning anything interesting in school? I'm doing a project about uh, medicine in the Middle Ages. <laughs> Did you know back then most surgeries were done by barbers? Really, I'd never trust you with my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now I'll use an aspirator. It's kind of like a vacuum. It'll suck out the contents of the uterus. Anything you want to ask before we start? Am I the first 16-year-old you've ever done this to? You're not the first today. You ready? Okay, let's start. Relax. And breathe. Cue the soft music, huh? Everything's okay now. I want you to notice some things here. The abortionist said, you're not the first today. How normal is that? You're not the first. I've had other 16-year-old girls here even today, and the implication is many before that. He could have said, it's just like a cavity being filled. You notice how nice the doctor was? Your friendly neighborhood abortionist. What a great guy. Even has a relaxing sense of humor. He's getting ready to take the life of an unborn child, but he has a great sense of humor. Don't we all want such nice doctors taking such good care of us? Reasonable, professional, performing a valuable service. Now, let me tell you something. The tube that he was going to insert was going to suck the unborn child out piece by piece. Let that sink in for a moment. What the video didn't show was what the nurse would have to do after this suction abortion. She would have to examine every piece that came out, the arms, the legs, the torso, the head. They have to make sure they got it all, otherwise there is infection. But the doctor called it what? The contents of the uterus. Another phrase in the vast repertoire of pro-abortion euphemisms. It's a whole lot easier to call it that than telling this scared 16-year-old girl that he was going to make sure that her baby was gone, dead, sucked out, piece by piece. Language matters, my brothers and sisters. That's why pro-choice is such a deception. Choose what? Choose what? However, our culture is doubling down on not just the choice, but the celebration it gets worse. Here's another clip from the same episode that follows this 16-year-old girl who remembers she just that we just saw the scene. She had an abortion. Watch this. Do you think I'm a bad person because you made a difficult decision? It wasn't difficult for me. Scary, yeah, but not difficult. 
And afterwards, I, I didn't feel sad. Well, that's good, isn't it? Except now I feel bad for not feeling sad. I've been staring at this photo all afternoon. I feel nothing except the desire to tweeze her unibrow. Well, doesn't that mean you just made the right choice? <sighs> Frankie and Shay don't agree. They think I'm a murderer. They said that? I can barely handle my roots. How could I possibly handle a baby? A lot of women would support you. I mean, Nicki Minaj had an abortion in high school. Really? The point is, a lot of women have abortions and feel no shame. I feel like I'm the first. Yeah, because the world makes everybody too scared to talk about it. Well, they should talk about it. Maybe you could. My name is Lola Pacini. Yesterday I was pregnant and now I'm not. And I'd like to talk about it. There's so many things I want to do in high school and being a mom is not one of them. It might not be everyone's choice, but it was mine. And I'm not ashamed. <sighs> My hair looks so flat in that video. Why didn't you tell us? You were so judgy about the sex. I couldn't imagine telling you about the other stuff. I would have supported you. Even if it wasn't the right decision for me. Yeah, truthfully, I don't know what I'd do if I was actually pregnant. Me neither. But making that difficult choice and standing up for it? You're courageous. We should go out and celebrate if you feel up to it. Yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> so what are you thinking? Ice cream? No, gelato. There's a place near my Where are you 300? Uh, to celebrate Lil's bravery. Did you save a cat from a tree? No, she shared the story of her abortion online. Franks? The whole point of the video was to own it. <laughs> you should check it out. I don't know about you. I just want to cry when I see those videos and think that that kind of story happens every day in America, even here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Can, can you see how insidious this is? It's made more so by the dramatic presentation. Now, this girl was afraid of judgment, but she said she wasn't ashamed because apparently judging people's personal choices is about the worst thing you can do. Her friends not only supported her choice, but they made her out to be some sort of courageous hero. And then the boy who got her pregnant walks by, and he asks what's going on. Did you see the look on his face when he learned that she had aborted the baby that he didn't even know about in the first place? And then he learned that she had told the whole world about it with a video online without even telling him first. Let's all go get some ice cream and celebrate. You have to wonder what he thought about her choice. But then again, he's just the baby daddy. He didn't have any say in this matter, right? No uterus, no choice. This girl soothed her conscience, which had initially given her at least some semblance of guilt. And then her friends helped sear that conscience with their celebration of her quote-unquote bravery. If you ever wonder if TV and movie producers have an agenda, this is your answer. First of all, the title of the episode was I Regret Nothing. That's probably enough to tell us their purpose. But the series co-creator, I found this quote, said, we wanted to show that it's possible to make a strong choice like this and it be okay. 
We thought for young modern women it's very important to signal to them that it is their body, it is their choice. The series creator said the woman who wrote the episode was also really big on wanting to show that there's no shame in what Lola did and we wanted to see Lola own it. I think that's very positive for young girls. This is what we're up against, my brothers and sisters. Even if Roe is overturned because abortion won't be illegal everywhere and there's all kinds of complicating issues like the abortion pill. I mean, I can get into all kinds of other issues that I don't want to muddy the waters here this morning, but this is what we're up against. And, you know, I also realize that even well-meaning Christians sometimes resist the idea that abortion is the moral issue of the day. After all, admittedly, there are certainly many other important issues that Christians can be and should be concerned about. But abortion is not just another issue. It is our postmodern version of child sacrifice for the me generation. It's an unthinkable evil. God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 32 where it reads, They built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben-Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I never commanded, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin. God says, nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing. Unthinkable. Among the many ways we offend God, the greatest offenses are the shedding of innocent blood and idolatry. These two come together in child sacrifice. At the outset, God taught Israel to be shocked and repulsed by its practice among other cultures. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that, that way for every abominable thing that the Lord hates they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Deuteronomy 12.31. The word here even rings remarkably close in meaning to unthinkable or something that did not enter into my mind. Think about that. My brothers and sisters, this is the culture we live in. And though I will rejoice when it's no longer the law of the land and some lives will no doubt be saved, many, many more lives, abortion will continue and we must continue to resist its easy acceptance and normalization. I believe one of the most effective ways we can resist today is we can help a very fruitful and effective ministry. Men Medical Services used to be known as Men Crisis Pregnancy Center. A tremendous ministry. I've been involved in it on one level or another for 30 years. We have others. Uh, Diane just dropped off as board president. She served as many years. Chuck's still on the board. I know Tom and Jody have done volunteer work. There may be others in here, so I don't hate to leave anybody out. But it's a tremendous ministry. And if we can take home one of these baby bottles and fill them with cash or checks and return them to the box in the foyer. You have between now and Father's Day. Take as many as you feel like you can use. The money we give when we support men helps pregnant women with all kinds of resources so they can give life to their babies. It helps pay for ultrasounds. And again, we noted how effective that can be in challenging abortion-minded women to see the life growing inside them and hopefully change their minds about ending that life. 
It provides many other practical services that enable women who choose to keep their babies find the resources that they need or refer them to an agency that can help them with an adoption if that's a better option for them. It even helps women who've already had abortions and they have deep regret about their choice despite those the website shouts your abortion and some women have that attitude. There are probably more women, I don't have statistics, there's probably more women who regret their abortion or feel shamed about it or uh, something like that for most of their lives. So supporting men is a very practical way for us to put walk to our talk. We say we're pro-life, that's good, but let's put walk to the talk about being pro-life. So, you know, one of the ways we can honor the women, our mothers, who chose to give us life here this morning, we can honor all of them by helping an organization that works on the front line in a loving and compassionate way, fighting the battle against abortion each day. This is a very positive way we can all be pro-life. And let's not minimize prayer pray for men, to pray for the other uh, agencies and organizations. There's other pregnancy centers. There's adoption agencies that work specifically with uh, uh, women who considered abortion and then changed their mind and they want to adopt their baby. Pray for these things. But pray for our nation. You know, some of the stuff I looked at this week, including just the snippets that I showed you, and I think, God help us. God have mercy on us. How, how can God withhold judgment much longer? 63 million, that's an estimate, 63 million in the last 49 years. 63 million babies. We look at Owen there, the youngest in our congregation. That sweet little baby boy, he'll smile anytime you look at him. And you think that, uh, how old is Owen now? Four months. You think five months ago, Megan could have gone to Wichita, Kansas, where they do late-term abortions, and changed her mind and snuffed out Owen's life. So let's bring this down to what it really is all about. We're talking about life here. And this is something we cannot ignore. So let's honor God. Let's honor those who have the most important job in the world as his instrument in bringing life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's sobering to think about the Holocaust that this nation has seen in the last almost 50 years. It's encouraging to see that it may no longer be the law of the land, but we know that it will go back to the states, Lord, so help us to continue to fight this battle. Help us to continue to stand strong and firm for life. Help us to continue to support organizations like men. And help us to not grow weary in praying, Lord, about this issue. Father, now we'll turn our attention to not praying that the Supreme Court would overturn this, but that state legislatures would do the right thing and ban abortion in their states. And, Father, that uh, we would see uh, the numbers of abortion go down significantly, Father God. And, Lord, we know that this is such a divisive issue, and we see pro-aborts, and their allies screaming loudly, and we see the the deepening of division. But let us not see that as a reason to just uh, shrink and never uh, address this issue anymore just because it's so incredibly hard and divisive. 
Lord, help us to stand firm for you because you stand firm for life. You are the author of life and that children are a blessing from the Lord and that the fruit of the womb is a reward. We are grateful that you knit us together in our mother's wombs. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we honor our own mothers today, we honor the mothers here in this room today, Father, that we would be part of this challenge, Lord, and that you would give us the grace to continue in Jesus' name. Amen.